0: have your bibles you can turn to the book of proverbs with me we're going to be looking at just two verses this morning from the 18th chapter of proverbs proverbs chapter 18 verses 1 and 2 we uh we need wisdom don't we that's why we've uh we've pressed pause on the book of romans uh and we have uh Taking a step into this book of Proverbs. Jason, can you bring me down just to here? I'm getting a little feedback. Thanks, bud. Um, that's why we've taken a pause on Romans and we've, and we've dove into this book of Proverbs for the next several weeks because uh, we need wisdom. Um, that's why we're in this book of the Bible. And the aim of Proverbs, the aim of the book of Proverbs is to give us God-inspired wisdom for our lives, to, to guide us, as it says, down every good path. God wants to lead us down good paths, to caution us away from the folly that leads to ruin. And Proverbs comes to us as God's goodness, his love for us, to lead us down the good path. It offers us street-level theology and insight for navigating life. So so Proverbs is not highfalutin theological jargon. It is street-level theology. It is speaking right to us right to our hearts and right to our minds and right to our hands to show us to teach us how to live the sages that, that wrote this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, touch on many different topics for our lives so a few weeks ago uh, we had Jason Tucker with us and, and he he showed us wisdom for our money Proverbs has a lot to say about our money and then and then last week John Tavius uh, he, he walked us through the book to, to help us see wisdom for our egos. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about pride and humility. Uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at uh, wisdom for our words. Proverbs says a lot to us about the tongue. Um, and if that doesn't offend enough, uh, in, in, in two weeks we're going to look at uh, wisdom for our sexuality and for our desires. Because Proverbs has a lot to say there. Uh, but I'm going to get us into trouble this morning. Uh, really, uh, our goal over the next three, three weeks is not to run you off, okay? So, so stay with us. Uh, it's just, you know, the book, it kind of gets up into our lives. And, and, and God has a right to do that, right? He steps into our lives and he has things to say to us on various aspects of who we are. And so this morning, we're going to try to tackle the question over the next few minutes. Of how do we... How do we engage wisely in our politics? Wisdom for our politics. When it comes to politics, our nation is divided, is it not? There are red states and there are blue states. There's MSNBC and there's Fox News. (laughs) There's Make America Great Again and there's Never Trump. we, we We are so divided politically as a nation maybe you feel fatigue with all of the back and forth I feel some fatigue I feel tired when it comes to politics and sometimes in our fatigue what we what we want to do is we want to I think take the path of naivete which which says to us hey let's let's just be uncommitted it really doesn't matter Right? There are things bigger than politics. It's not that important. And so in our naivete, we want to believe that as, as Christians, that we can stand aloof from politics, that they don't really matter. Or we say uh, these, these vague, loose platitudes, like we just need to do better and uh, we need to love each other. We are the world. We are the children. Right? Can't we all just get along? That's naivete talking. So maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. Or maybe you've totally jumped into the other ditch, which is the ditch of folly, which says, no, every issue is clear. It's all black and white. My party has it right on everything. We have figured this out. And this is... Is the only party that's right, and this is the only issue that matters. Agree with me, or you're an idiot. Naivete and folly have led us to a lot of hurt, haven't they? Reality is, it's going to take more than some vague notion of love to address the issues of our nation. Love doesn't stand aloof. It's not uncommitted. There are real issues that we need to address and so we can't remain naive but these issues are oftentimes complex and so as we engage in them they aren't always easy to solve. If we oversimplify we create more problems than we do find answers and so we need God's wisdom for how to navigate our politically polarized world and the issues that our society is facing. And, and last week, as John Tavius unpacked uh, this wisdom that God gives us from the book of Proverbs as it relates to our egos, he, he helped us to see that wisdom as it relates to our egos smells an awful lot like humility. God's word says that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. To be wise is to be humble. And so what I'd like to do is I'd just like to take John Tavius' message from last week and I'd like to append it onto this week's message and this week's topic. There's perhaps no other arena where humility is more needed than in in the arena of politics, as we engage in politics. We need humility when it comes to our political engagement. And so for the next few minutes, I just want us to think about what it looks like for us to be humble and wise with our politics. Now, we're going to come at this from a side angle. It's going to be an unexpected angle. It's it's probably not going to sound like what you might expect it to sound like. There are lots of verses that, that speak to this. There are lots of verses in Scripture that speak to all of the political issues of our day. And I would in- exhort you to go read those and study those. In fact, I'm going to exhort you in just a few minutes to think deeply about these things. But I want, I want us to come at it from a side angle this morning. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. God's Word says this. One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. This is the word of the Lord. As I've considered this idea of of humility as it relates to politics, one of the things that I've done is I've reflected upon my my own upbringing to consider some of the views that I was raised to accept and to hold, whether these were direct or, or indirect. I was born into a home that taught me about Jesus and Ronald Reagan. And there was a lot that I was taught that was good. But one of the things that I've noticed is that some of the things that I was taught to hold politically were a bit one-sided and oversimplified. We, We tend to paint with really broad strokes when it comes to our politics, don't we? Pastor Tim Keller observes that with many social issues, conservatives want to make the problem entirely the sin of the individual. It's always an issue of individual sin. Whereas liberals want to make the problem entirely systemic injustice. It's always the problem of the system. When many times the issue is both. And so in a politically conservative environment, I was led to believe that nearly every person that was relying on government aid for food or for housing was so they were relying on those things because they were too lazy to get a job. That was the rhetoric. That was the language. Therefore, welfare was a perpetuator of the problem, not never a solution to it. Vote accordingly. Do you know that in Alabama, of the 804,000 people enrolled in the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, 45% of them work? 35% of households that are on supplemental assistance uh, have a disabled person or an elderly person in the home unable to work? Which means that, yes, there are likely some taking advantage of the system, but it also means that there are many others who are working poor or disabled and in need of supplemental help. Now, on the flip side, while many conservatives tend to oversimplify issues such as government aid, what does not follow is that they do not care about the poor, because according to a 2012 study, the eight states that ranked highest in philanthropic giving were all red states, and the seven lowest were blue states. Oftentimes, our stereotypes are inaccurate, aren't they? Sometimes the narratives that we grew up with are unhelpful. But it's hard to see this within echo chambers. You know what an echo chamber is? It's when we live in such an insulated world that the only voices that we ever hear are the ones that we agree with. The voices that we tend to hear sound an awful lot lot like an echo of our own. They say what we like to hear, and so we watch news sources that tell us what we want to hear, that repeats the narrative that we've been taught to believe. We find the tribe on Twitter that that, uh, that projects our preferred vantage point, and we retweet ad infinitum. Echo, 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 echo. We need to break out of the echo chamber. We need to broaden our listening to different voices. Over the past several years, I've been on a quest uh, to do this on a number of issues, one being poverty. And and not only have I begun to look at some of the statistics related to, to poverty, I've actually gotten to know some people who would fit the criteria of the definition. I've become friends with some of them. We've shared meals. We've talked about life. I've learned some things, a lot of things, some things I didn't want to learn. And through relationships, I've, I've learned that there are very few poor people that actually want to remain poor. Many of them were born into poverty. It's all they've ever known. They were born into a system that has perpetually kept them in poverty. They like the understanding and the access to get out. Many of them, though undiagnosed, struggle with mental illness. Many of them have been in it so long that they've gone numb to hope. Their poverty is a symptom of necrotic ambition. But very few simply choose poverty out of laziness. Dave Busby was a pastor. He's since passed away. But he was one of the voices growing up that shaped me. He tells this funny story of of growing up in a home in which his mom often made two meals that he hated. One was meatloaf and the other was salmon croquettes. Neither of these was his food of choice. And so every time his mom would cook one of these meals, he would begin to bemoan the meatloaf for the salmon croquette. He would hold his nose up to it. And he said this would immediately provoke the speech from his mom. We probably all heard this speech from our mother growing up. There are starving children. in, And he said her continent of choice was the continent of Africa. There are starving children in the continent of Africa. And you're sitting here holding your nose up to good food. To which Busby says, I don't care if they serve meatloaf at the marriage supper of the lamb. I'm not eating it. (laughs) He goes on to talk about how I had an intellectual understanding of poverty. I understood what it was. I understood that there were were children in the world that actually didn't have access to good food. He says, but then, then I went. I went to a slum. In Africa, and I and I and I, I experienced it. He said, I, I smelled destitution. I saw starvation with my own eyes, and he says, It changed me, it affected me. One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. Do you hear the wisdom of God? Do you hear it? He's saying, Come out of the echo chamber, come out of isolation and experience diverse community. Wisdom is open to learning through experience. It's open to learning through relationship. It's open to listening and learning from those who hold differing opinions because they have different experiences. When it comes to our our positions on a political issue, the best thing for us is exposure to different vantage points, to, 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 to experiences different than our own. And there is no other place to do this. Listen, I'm so glad you're here this morning. If you're a guest with us, I'm so glad you're here this morning because I want you to hear this. There's no better place to do this than in the church of Jesus Christ. This is where it can happen. One of the distinct privileges of being a part of a diverse family of disciples is that we are less likely to live in the echo chamber. Now, for this to work, we need a couple of things in place. One of those things is humility. We need the humility to admit, I don't see perfectly. Nor did my parents, nor did my grandparents. We need the humility to say, I don't know all. I probably have some blind spots. So let's learn together. Let's learn together. We also need love. We need love that says, it's safe with me. It's safe with me. Even if we don't align politically, it's safe here with me. Something deeper than politics unites us. You know, one of the ugly marks on the church in America is that a lot of people don't believe that about us. A lot of people in our nation believe that politics, politics runs deeper than religion. We need to show them something different. That something deeper than politics unites us. We need love that says you might say something stupid or offensive, and that's okay because I've said stupid and offensive things too, and we're in this together. We're learning together. Love covers a multitude of sins. I would venture to say that since coming on staff, there have probably been some stupid things, said uh, Victoria and John Tavius. They probably endured some, some dumb comments, some weird questions. It's okay. Because love covers a multitude of sins. We're in this together. We're learning this together. Church, I want to invite us out of the echo chamber this morning and into the realm of genuine Christian community. When rich and poor and young and immigrant and native begin to learn each other's names and stories and struggles and fears and concerns and hopes, it will begin to affect the way we see the world and think about the issues our nation is facing. But if we isolate our lives, only to engaging with those just like us, the danger that Proverbs is telling us is that we're choosing to live not only in folly, we're choosing to live in selfishness. One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. Our politics will be selfish when we surround ourselves with people that look like, talk like, and act like us. We'll think narrowly. Let me ask a question. When's the last time you went to the ballot box with someone other than yourself in mind? Sound wisdom for our political involvement comes in exposure and in community. When you actually know people that are different than you by name, when you've shared meals with them, when you've prayed with them. It changes the way that you talk about issues. Even if you still disagree, it changes the tone. You soften because you gain empathy. A great place for this to happen, by the way, is in our gospel communities. So if you're new with us, if you're a guest with us this morning, we don't always talk about politics, number one. You pick the fun Sunday. Number two, we are a church made up of what we call gospel communities, which are small groups on mission together. They're small groups of within our church where we care for one another and we pray for one another. We do life together. That's the vernacular. And we actually try to live on mission together. We try to love and serve our neighborhoods and our communities. And these groups are not formed primarily by affinity. You know, a lot of people tell you, man, if you really want your groups to thrive, you've got to do affinity-based groups. You know what an affinity-based group is? It's where like, oh, you like that too? Let's get together, right? That's affinity. But the problem is that those can become echo chambers. So we don't form our groups around affinity because we don't want to isolate ourselves from other life stages or, or those that have a different marital status than us. We have so much to learn from each other. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. And so hear me, if you're not in a GC, we would love to get you in one where you can begin to experience this diverse community of learning from one another, of listening to one another. You will be challenged. You will grow and you will be sharpened by learning from others who have a different experience than your own. And as you grow together, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to dig into God's word together. And this leads to the second thing that we see in this text, which is that wisdom comes not only from learning from others, but from listening to God's word. Look at verse two. We need humility to listen to God's word. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his own opinions. At the end of the day, what matters is not your opinion or my opinion. What matters is whose opinion? God's opinion. You ever watched, have you ever watched Bill Maher or Bill O'Reilly on television? Two very different bills. Politics are very different. Shows are quite similar. Shows are are quite similar. If you venture onto one of the Bill's shows, here's what's going to happen. They have no real desire to hear your point of view. Their conclusion on the matter was made before the segment was aired, before it was taped. And the dialogue is not about introducing their audience to an alternative viewpoint so much as it is making you, the guest, and your opinions look bad and themselves look good. It's it's about showing the audience how much smarter they are than their guests. A fool does not delight in understanding. He doesn't want to know what the other side actually believes. He he just wants the straw man. He just wants the caricature. He doesn't want to know the true facts of the situation, especially if they don't fit the narrative. He only wants to show how much he knows. He only wants to pontificate. He likes to hear himself speak or tweet because there's a lot of political commentary on Twitter in that vein. Next time you go to post something on Twitter... Stop and ask yourself, is this me wanting to show off my opinion or genuinely wanting to engage in helpful dialogue? Anybody guilty? What if instead of ranting, we got together with a few others, opened up our Bibles and asked, what does God really have to say about this topic? Do you truly delight in understanding Let's remember what we saw in weeks one and two of this series. Let's remember where wisdom begins. Wisdom begins with the admission that we don't have it, we ain't got it, but God does. It begins with the admission that none of us are naturally wise, and that the that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, a reverence for God. It begins with, I don't know, but God does. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not in your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him. He will direct your path. And so here's what wisdom pleads for us in our politics. It says, let's stop with always voting the party line and always engaging in partisan politics and let's submit ourselves instead to the word of God and let's just see what it has to say about these things. Let's stop caring as much about what an anchor on CNN or Fox News says and let's start caring more about what the prophet Jeremiah or the apostle John says. And let's accept that while some answers are very clear and very simple and we just need to walk in truth, others are not. They're complex and we need to wrestle with scripture and find wisdom that applies. Engaging wisdom to guide our politics means that we have to think deeply about issues and submit our conscience to the whole counsel of God. The Apostle Paul, when he was with the elders at Ephesus, before he's about to depart and move on, he said, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, meaning Genesis to Revelation. I walked you through the whole deal and I showed you how Christ was at the center of it all. And we need to learn how to do this with some of our political issues. We don't need need just little bumps sticker answers for everything. We need to learn how to think deeply about what the word of God is saying to these things and wrestle with them and submit them to the word of God and say, wherever you lead, God, I'll go. Jesus once said it this way. He said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, Your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other or will be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus compares the eye to a lamp. He says it lights the way. This is worldview language. He's saying that how you see the world is determinative. It affects everything. And so he's posing this question. Is your eye healthy? Do you see clearly what is guiding your view of the world? Is everything red colored or blue colored? Are you looking through political lenses? He says you cannot serve two masters. You can no more devote yourself to God and a political party than you can serve God and love money. Because whether it's money or political tribes, you will be driven to an ultimatum. You will face a crisis at some point. Which will I serve? Will I devote myself to Jesus Or to Republicanism? Will I devote myself to Jesus or to the Democratic Party? At some point, you're going to be forced to choose. And so to follow Jesus will require us to put down our partisan politics and to take up our cross. I think this is a good place to be reminded that the Apostle Peter refer to us believers as strangers and as aliens. The United States is not our ultimate home. Which means that there are going to be times where we feel some dysphoria, where we feel like we don't fully fit in. I resonate with what Pastor Scott Saul says. He says, I'm more conservative than my liberal friends and I'm more liberal than my conservative friends. Anybody ever felt that way before? She's like, I don't, I don't quite fit in. And that's because if you're following Jesus, it means that you won't neatly align with a party. I almost gave a caveat at the beginning of this message to, to assuage all of the tension that you feel right now. That I wasn't going to tell you who to vote for, but that would have been a lie, because I am going to tell you who to vote for, and that's Jesus. Let's vote for Jesus. Let's listen to Jesus. The hope for our nation is not Capitol Hill. It's not in a supermajority in Congress. It's not in who uh, is a Supreme Court justice. I'm not saying those things are irrelevant. Let's not be naive. Those things are important. They matter. But our hope is in an empty tomb. It is in a risen and returning Savior. Richard Lovelace says, in the hearts of the people is a groping, inarticulate conviction that if the right ruler would only come along, the world would be healed of all its wounds. We all have this propensity to put our hope in leadership. If the right leader, if the right party, if the right constituency, that's how we tend to think. And I think Lovelace is on to something. I like what Cosper says. He says, into that madness comes Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus showed up declaring good news of a new kingdom that had arrived. And he called everyone everywhere to repent and to believe the good news. He, he, Jesus steps into our political chaos just as he did in the first century. And he inserts himself as a better solution to our problems. He proclaims good news to us just as he did to them. The time has come and the kingdom is here. Repent and believe the good news. This is political language, church. He's saying, I'm a better hope. I'm a better hope than elephants and donkeys. I'm a better hope. Jesus invites us to cast our hope upon him and to turn from placing our hope for our country in a political party and to place our hope upon his shoulders he is true understanding he is true wisdom he is what our country needs And what what our country needs is to see the church of Jesus Christ declare that emphatically, not just when we gather for songs on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust no sweeter frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's what our country needs. That's what they need to hear from us. But our hope is in Jesus. He is true wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, so easily we get caught in the spin cycle. We find ourselves worrying, trifling, despairing because of Who holds office? Help us to hope in Jesus. Jesus, you are the leader that we need. You are the leader our country needs. But your kingdom doesn't come by force, Jesus. You you came subversively. You came humbly. You said the kingdom comes like leaven in dough God help us to be the leaven of our society help us to take Jesus to our our neighbors to our neighborhoods to our communities Jesus you are the one that can turn Birmingham around you're the one that can turn our nation around it'll happen through us really believing that reality and sharing the hope that we have. So God, help us, make us wise, may we not be foolish, may we not be naive, may we look to you, our shield and our defender, we pray in your strong name.